Excellent. Hey, everybody. This is Kale Baldwin with Zero Tolerance uh, Gluten-Free Homebrew Club. And in my never-ending search to find all the best gluten-free beer, uh, commercial beer that's out there, I have uh, a guest today uh, from the great state of Virginia. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, John Hildreth. Glad to be here. And John is the head brewer of the Bellevue Farm uh, Brewery, which is actually on a winery. Um, and but before we talk about Bellevue, I just wanted to get a little uh, note to to get to know a little bit about you in terms of um, you know how how did you end up where you are today? How did you end up brewing gluten free beer? Could you tell us a little bit about your story? How you got from uh, you know where you began brewing to where you are now? Certainly. Um, my main motivation for getting into gluten-free brewing uh, was my wife, uh, who was diagnosed with celiac disease several years ago. Um, and a big part of our relationship has always been a love of food and drink. And we, um, you know, or just love beer, uh, bottom line, uh, going back to the, the mid-90s when we got together, the dawn of the, the craft movement, as it were. So it was real bummer, as everybody knows, uh, when that happens. Um, but, uh, you know, we got the few things we can get on the market here in terms of gluten-free beer, and we're pretty underwhelmed. And so um, I had had some experience brewing beer in the early 2000s with barley malt and barley malt extract. And so I, I remembered some of what I had done there as a, just as, with some friends as a hobby and um, Building on that, I just started doing a whole bunch of research. Uh, everything that was out there about gluten-free brewing um, and just brewing in general, I just, you know, inhaled. I got my hands on everything I could. Um, and eventually just started R&D, brewing here at home. Like on average, I was brewing like gallon batches, you know, once a week on average. Um, and so just trying all kinds of different fermentables, um, and just kind of just really putting it through the paces. After, after a year or so, I was making beer that I felt was, um, was pretty decent. You know, my goal being, I wanted to make something that was every bit as good as anything you can get off the shelf at, you know, at, at the beer store, the grocery store or whatever. And uh, Ghost Fish was certainly an inspiration there, as were some other gluten-free breweries I had the chance to try when I was in the Midwest, kind of in the middle of this process. And um, um, I got friends in the area, both gluten-free friends, as well as non-GF people tasting my beer, giving me feedback. Um, and so eventually, um, when um, Bellavo Farm announced they're opening a brewery, there was an article in the local paper and um, mention was made by the gentleman that runs the winery um, that he wanted to feature a gluten-free beer on tap. Um, I would later learn about him, Ivan Beliveau, he has celiac disease and he hadn't had a beer in like 30 years. Um, and so uh, some people saw the article and said, you should contact this guy. And some people also told him that knew me, you need to talk to this guy. And so we met and talked and, um, you know, when you do gluten-free brewing, you're either all the way in or you're all the way out. Um, and so we kind of talked about the logistics of that and I brought them a tasting of beer and uh, they just didn't know the gluten-free beer could taste like that. Um, 
And so um, we talked a little bit more and they were really intrigued with becoming the only gluten-free brewery in the state. And so they decided to go all in on it and uh, yada, yada, here we are. Nice. And my, I have family up in the DC and kind of Fairfax, Virginia area. And I can attest that it, it, it feels like I'm used to in the Pacific Northwest being able to drive to the store that's right down the street and there's a bunch of ghost fish or whatever. And there's a lot of selection, but it didn't seem like there was a lot of <laughs> gluten-free, dedicated gluten-free uh, beer selection in the part of Virginia that I was in. I'm guessing it's the same way where you're at down, down there. Pretty much, yeah. In terms of gluten-free, um, we can get some of the gluten-free, some sorry, some of the Glutenberg beers here now. We can okay. get the whole lineup, but we can get a couple of them. Uh, some of the outlets carry those. Um, of course, the, the, the terrible Red Bridge uh, is there. And uh, at one time, you could get greens, um, which is certainly decent, um, but I haven't seen it lately. I recall having some beers of theirs I thought were, were pretty okay, but um, I haven't seen them lately. So it's pretty slim pickings. So um, it, it's interesting. It sounds like that your first uh, foray into commercial brewing was basically with Bellavo. And so um, what was that like to go from one gallon batches or whatever you're doing to, uh, I'm, I'm assuming that there's a significant jump in size and, mm-hmm. Probably the equipment was a lot different. Uh, what was it like to move from, the, you know, small batches through to where you are now from an equipment perspective and like just from a like learning perspective? Well, it's an adjustment, like you can imagine. Um, but you know, you know, it's not too surprising that you know pretty quickly you start to get your head around the equipment and the process, and it's a little intimidating working in such large quantities at first, um, and then getting a process down, you know, learning how to use the system, but also what works on the system and how to make the most of the time. You know, you kind of have so many irons that you're working with that, you know, for me, I just kind of became consumed in the process and it, it didn't take too long, you know, man, it it just kind of normalizes. And then like any other kind of brewing, you, you're constantly trying to make what you do better and evolve it. And so, you know, you just kind of get caught up in it. And pretty soon you're not so much overwhelmed or intimidated as you just want to try the next thing. Right on. Yeah. I'm, I, if it was me, I, I know my experience at doing a pilot badge at Ghost Fish was like, oh, this is this is like small enough where it's, you know, it was like a half BBL or something like that or but mm-hmm. then you go out there and there's 60 BBL tanks, and you, you don't want to like mess up something huge and have to dump it out, right? I'm sure there's always that fear the first time you do it. You're like, ah, oh, I better not have to dump this huge batch of beer, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always a possibility. You do everything you can to keep that from happening. You know, when we opened in summer 2019, we'd had a delay with our licensing, uh, just a, a stupid red tape thing, but it put us back a little bit to where we technically couldn't begin brewing until a real a pretty short window before opening day. And I said, look, we have kind of just a little more than just enough time to do this. And um, I just want you to know, putting this gear through the paces, you know, they could all be dump outs. I'm just telling you. Right. <laughs> so I think 
we had done one pilot batch and then everything else was going to be on the main system. And so they, they, they were cool with it. They're like, yeah, we understand. Uh, uh, luck, luck, luckily they all turned out. Okay. No dump outs. That sounds like an awesome like opportunity to jump into the commercial side of brewing. Like, I mean, it seems like there's not a lot of opportunities for that to happen. That seems like pretty fortuitous for you to have that happen. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I was fortunate. It's definitely not lost on me. I was really fortunate. Um, the the Bellevue family are really cool people. Uh, they're from Montreal um, originally, and um, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, they gave me. I had previously, like earlier in the year leading up to that meeting them, I had kind of tried to interest another area brewery into maybe adding a gluten free annex on and. Um, yeah, I, I just couldn't really get a whole lot of traction there. They, 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 they sort of were interested, but not that interested. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, um, Belleville Farms, um, I was doing some reading up on it, and I know you have, uh, you know, all the details. So, it sounds like, you know, I want to know the kind of who, what, when, where, why. Um, I know that, uh, just give us an overview. It's a winery. It's uh, like an inn, hotel, weddings, brewery. Where is it located? Give us the whole kind of ambiance and feel of what's going on on there. Certainly, certainly. And so um, it is a winery. Um, as you said, it's also a lavender farm. Uh, and obviously a brewery, there is an extensive hiking trail system on the property. Um, we are what you would call a destination um, uh, in that we're uh, located in, the, in technically where it's Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, effectively, I would call it the greater Blacksburg area um, in that we're, you know, we're outside the town proper um, and we're really not located in a place where people are going to stop by on the way home from work for a quick pint or a growler fill or something. So you're not filled with like uh, Virginia Tech frat boys or something like that? Nothing like that? Or not is, is it Blacksburg like a, a college town? I think of it as oh, yeah. a college That's town. That's exactly right. That's yeah. Virginia Tech. Um, we get a lot of Tech students on the weekends. Um, and the students that summer here, we get them out there like on wine nights and beer nights and stuff in the summer. But um, again, it's a destination place. It's, you know, you plan to go there. You can take the family. You can go with your friends if you want to do wine touring. We get a, we get a bunch of wine touring people coming through just doing wineries. Um, and so that's kind of where we are. It's a really scenic piece of property in the Catawba Valley. Um, lots of great mountainscapes. Um, you know, it's, it's just a really cool place, really beautiful place. So uh, what about like the, the size of the brewery? Do you have other people that are like working with you in the brewery? Are you doing this all by yourself? What is the mm-hmm. logistics of that? So we're a nano brewery in every sense of the word. Um, our main system is just a one barrel system. Uh, we have two barrel fermenters, so I can double batch beers like in the summertime um, so that was kind of put together by design, um, our, for our first, uh, about first year in business, I had a really amazing, uh, assistant brewer, um, who could pretty much 
he learned to do everything himself. I didn't have to be there the whole time. Um, though he moved on to, uh, he just got a, you know, another opportunity. So he moved on. And so that happened in spring of this year. So I've largely been running everything myself. Um, I did take on um, uh, sort of an understudy, just uh, kind of a younger guy that was seasonal help that wanted to just kind of work in the brewery. He was curious. And so he's been helping me some, um, but uh, by and large, it's, it's, it's just been me for the time being. And COVID and pandemic and everything, you know, we're, we're not hire, hiring a whole lot of new staff right now. So, yeah, I bet, I bet um, that's definitely put a dent into <laughs> uh, yeah. um, the business, right? I'm, I'm sure. Um, so what about um, your beers? Are they only served on tap at the brewery? Do you plan, are you canning, bottling, anything like that? Or is that a future looking, or is it always going to just strictly be like something that's uh, served on tap locally at the, at the brewery? So um, bottling was something we had originally planned to get into last summer. So that had to be tabled for obvious reasons. So we're going to look to get into it this summer, hopefully. Okay. Um, and so it's just going to start off just on site bottling. And of course, you know, drafts, we do, you know, growlers and stuff. Um, in, in terms of larger distributions, like if, if we wanted to get a larger distribution in the state of Virginia, you know, I think we're, you know, we're a, a couple years off, I'd say at least before, you know, we're able to really build up enough momentum to think about that. Um, so we're really just focused right now on site and hopefully get some bottling happening on site. Um, so we can, you know, start sending people away uh, with beers, you know, yeah, in addition to, to go. people get. Right. I'm sure that like, is the to go wine? I mean, bottles of wine, people are probably coming and picking up bottles of wine and taking them to go, right? So. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can buy as much wine there as you want. Um, we have a wine club. So if you join the wine club, you get hip to stuff uh, before okay. the general public does or like limited uh, runs of particular wines might only be for the wine club. And so um, that's like a, a pre-packaged thing. Either you pick it up or if you're in another state, it gets mailed to you. Um, so yeah, oh, that's, cool. that's definitely a big thing there. Nice. How about, um, uh, are, are there certain styles that you focus on within the brewery or are you just kind of doing a variety of styles to make sure everyone's happy? Um, mm -hmm. 10 different IPAs. What do you, what do you, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you usually try to do in terms of, uh, fitting into a specific styles of, of beers? Thus far I've, I've, kept it pretty simple for the most part. Um, and I like to do things seasonally, you know, like, like most brewers do. Um, and so uh, like in the summer we're talking, I usually keep one IPA on, uh, one IPA, um, um, American style IPA. Um, uh, Blondale, I have a couple different um, variations on that. I've done it as like an American blonde and as like a British blonde ale. Um, uh, and also the English bitter is really popular. I pretty much keep that on year round. And um, so um, 
pretty simple stuff, I think. Our fall seasonal this year uh, was a, a dark amber ale. I was really happy with um, oatmeal stout was the first winter seasonal. And the second winter seasonal I just brewed last week uh, is a maple ale. Um, technically, it's a Scottish export, and I put maple in it uh, at the end of secondary. Um, and that goes with this uh, annual event we have called Sap to Syrup. So we got maple trees on the property. So people bring the kids oh, and nice. stuff, they tap the trees and there's hiking and food and, and a maple beer. And so um, it's, it's all based on pretty simple stuff up, up to this point. Um, did a brown ale last winter. I think I told you previously, uh, I was really happy with it. Uh, wine barrel brown, got to use some barrel stays from a red wine was really happy with that. And so I, I definitely have leeway to experiment if I want, but I haven't gone into anything real far out um, to date. Um, one of the plans that got shelved this past summer was a, a honey lavender saison. I wanted to oh, do the lavender harvest and um, it just, it just didn't, wasn't going to happen with the, with the COVID. So I punted that to this uh, summer. The summer. And, yeah. So, uh, I'm hoping for that. And, um, you know, I know we, we've, we've talked before, I, you know, I want to develop new styles of beer and expose the public to that. And so um, if I can maybe get a pilot batch of something interesting in later this year, I'll definitely try to do that. Yeah. When we uh, talked beforehand, you were um, talking about um, that you had a fascination with the old world pre-hopped beers. Um, does that kind of fit into uh what you kind of dig in terms of kind of experimenting with definitely definitely man um i've been interested to use um alternative bittering agents like heather flower and wormwood uh pine needles you know that that stuff that i i do and try out at home obviously i haven't done it at the brewery yet um but i like to um, I, I remember about 10 years ago being in Asheville, North Carolina. And at the time, the Wicked Weed Brewery there was still an independent brewery. It's been bought by Big Beer since. But I remember they had this series of wild ales they did. They were so far out, man. Um, not what the general public would ever gravitate toward, but they were bold enough to put like a short series of them on. And they were just amazing. Um, and I've always remembered that, you know, that, and I wasn't the only one that thought they were great. You know, Asheville is kind of a beer stop town anyway. Um, and so, um, that's one of the things I remember. It was a big inspiration. Um, and so, you know, it, if it tastes good, if it's interesting, um, there's going to be that portion of the population that really digs it and will come for it. Yeah, that's a great point. I, and I, well, a couple of things um, that maybe aren't readily apparent to, to people that are not in the dedicated gluten-free brewing community, but we're talking gluten-free grains that are dedicated gluten-free grains. You're not using barley and then adding some enzyme. You're brewing with dedicated gluten-free grains, right? Right. Yeah. And it, it seems like that the rap on gluten-free beer in general is like the red bridges of the world or some of these older sorghum based beers where uh, someone that has not experienced what's out there today kind of just kind of pigeonholes it into like being crappy, you know, inconsequential. Right. Um, so 
I think that you can surprise a lot of people. Um, and even the the verbiage on the Belleville Farm website kind of says the same thing, where it's like you can stack these beers up against any kind of gluten filled beers, and yeah. and you'll be surprised they're just as delicious, right? So, yeah, uh, many many of the patrons we get that drink our beer have no idea it's gluten free, right? Uh, you know, the the narrative is there uh, for the people that are interested and want to know or that have questions. I, I love going out to the bar and talking to people about it. Yeah. And, uh, and then for the people that do know, um, you know, they come there because they know it's a place they can get really great beer that they can drink. Um, and so, you know, we make beer for everybody, you know, again, that's kind of back to, to the ghost fish inspiration. Um, you know, it's beer for everybody, you know, yeah. so yeah. it's not just something that's good enough for someone that can't have the other variety. Um, let's make it great, as great as we can, and great for anybody that likes beer to have. So now is the point in um, in our journey where we start talking about technical stuff. And so for those items, there's always our typical things of, of mashing, right? So from okay. a mashing perspective, talk to me about um, your system and what you can do. Do you are you doing like a single infusion for time? Are you doing like a rising or falling step? What do you, what does that look like when you are brewing beer from a mashing perspective? Okay. Um, from the time we opened, we've iterated through some different things. Again, just getting a process down and scaling up what I was doing here. Um, and also trying different enzymes. And so one of the things that the original lockdown in March allowed me to do was to really catch up on the research and what other gluten-free brewers around were, were doing. Um, and so um, what I've settled on uh, this year, uh, we tried it a little bit last year, but what I felt like I've had a really great success with this year is a rising step mash uh, using Termamel and Andia. Um, so we were fortunate soon after we opened. So we have a, a Novozymes um, location here in our area. Oh, perfect. And nice. so when we, we always try to source local stuff if we possibly can. And so we were sourcing uh, some enzymes from them and they actually sent us a sample of Andia. It says, why don't you guys try this? And so we were, did and we were like, oh my God, what is this magical thing you have sent us? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so, you know, that, you know, again, you, you experiment, but um, I've had a lot of good um, results with the rising step mash. Um, I'll mash in um, uh, between 135 and 140, and that'll gradually rise and hold um, at uh, around 145. So uh, that's a 45 minute step there um and then we go up to 170 and so the first part of that that's another 45 minute step the first part of that rise is just going up to the temperature and the closer you get to that higher temperature the more that term mammal is just going to kick in um and then it's just a matter of what you're making um so i try to do what i'd like to try to do is a 90 minute mash um because in, in commercial setting, time is literally money. Yeah. 
Um, and so if you need a higher gravity, depending what you're making, you could extend that second step, you know, another 20 minutes if you needed to. Um, but I, uh, for most of the things I make, uh, that two step rising mash uh, for 90 minutes uh, is what I use. And um, as I said, I've, I've had some really good results with that across the board. Even the homebrew club side of it, I think tends to agree with with that. That there's a lot of, I mean, right around that same uh, same style. Uh, maybe I'm using Ceramex and Ondia, but Terma Mills got its place in there as well, right? So, what about like yeast? Um, is there a certain style like of yeast that you is your go-to, or you kind of all over the boards? Like, what do you do? What do you, what are your favorites in terms of yeast strains that you like to use within the brewery? Um, most everything we make is one of two yeasts: uh, Fermentus SO4 English ale yeast or the Fermentus SO5 American ale yeast. Um, everything. I think everything we've done to date has been one of those two yeasts. Um, what I had wanted to do for that lavender saison was um, I wanted to start as a pilot and actually use the Bell saison yeast, um, which is really expensive <laughs> to get like a brick of it, like on a commercial scale. But I wanted with the lavender and everything, I knew it was going to impart its own character. So I actually wanted to that's the yeast I wanted to culture. Um, and I'd still like to do that this summer. So that, that would be the first time I actually go to a third yeast. Um, we've yet to make any lagers. Everything we've done at this point is ale, uh, but that's something else I'd like to do. I've, I've done it at home. Um, and so that's something else maybe we could think about uh, for, uh, for the summer too. You're supposed to do loggers in the winter, though, John, right? Well, I can do them in the summer because I have glycol. <laughs> You're breaking, breaking rules. You're breaking uh, rules. No, that's, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I see loggers in your future, saisons. Uh, you probably could go all different directions. If it's just you by yourself right now, you're probably just trying to keep up. Yeah. You're just running around with like, like, rubber tubing flying all over the place, right? <laughs> you're not far. You're not <laughs> far at all. Literally, it's like hitting me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what about, actually, that brings up a good question because I, uh, when I had JP on, like his, he's moving to a new spot, um, Beerly Brewing in McMedville, but uh, he's literally like, he showed me the inside of his brewery and it's insanely, I mean, it's like, you can't even turn around without pumping and stuff. Is that the same for you? Or are you just constantly running into things? So not quite. I'm so glad you brought this up. I've actually seen a picture of his brewery. Yeah. Um, uh, Ivan, my boss actually traveled there. Um, it had to be a, maybe a little over a year ago. I well, he has a, a, a daughter, I think that lives in Portland. And he wanted to go to Beerly, and I think he went to Groundbreaker. But he was talking to them, and they sent him back with some beers. But he snapped a picture at JP's Brewery, and man, it's like a mad scientist. Oh yeah, yeah. Lab man, that is <laughs> wild. So now I I I I don't quite look like that. Um, it's it's pretty small. Um, but um, uh, not not quite to to, to the mad scientist level. 
Well, you just have, that means you just have extra space to fill up, right? Uh, it seems like that's a common I, theme. In, in I wouldn't say that. And no. so you have the brewing system. Uh, as I said, it's a one barrel electrical brewing system, a 15 uh, gallon pilot system, and then four two barrel fermenters. And so on the other side of the wall is an actual loading dock where I can bring orders and stuff in and then uh, my sinks and shelving that have, you know, chemicals and detergents and stuff on it. So I, I don't think I can fit anything else in there right now. <laughs> we would have to move to a, a new spot for new me spot. to have anything else in there. Just kick the winery out and just use that to <laughs> brew beer, right? <laughs> Who knows, man? Um, so here's a couple of kind of fun questions um, that I've asked before. So, and I, and I like these. So basically uh, this question is just a general question is, is if you had to choose one thing, hypothetical thing that's essential to making, you know, great beer, what would that one thing be? I mean, it could be like your mind or like a specific piece of equipment or what do you think is essential to making great beer? Wow, that could be a lot of things. Um, you know what I really dig, though? The piece of equipment that I really dig is uh, the digital refractometer. Is that like the Anton Parr thing or something different? Um, well, different companies make it. Um, okay. But uh, well, it's cool. You just turn it on and it, it has a sensor area. So you just pipe it. Yeah, more. yeah beer into it you push a button and it gives you the play-doh measurement right there that's awesome and so uh, yeah it's just a more convenient version of the looking glass yeah yeah it, I, I, I like that too though but uh, I, i'd say remember that was a particular game changer for me it's so much more expedient and uh simple to use um than using a hydrometer all the time so um, I think that's like two votes that JP showed us the the one that he has is the Anton Parr. There's like a $400 version, which is, I guess, homebrew style. And then there's like a $3,000 one or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, those are super cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how about this one for you? So you have an unlimited amount of money to fix something that annoys you and makes your brew day super frustrating, right? So what would be the very first thing that you would do to augment your brewery or whatever to take that frustration away during your brew day? Wow, okay. Unlimited budget. <laughs> Maybe the first thing I would do is get bottom cleaning kettles something I could actually clean out from the bottom and would actually just go straight out to the floor drain. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to having to scoop out the mash tun into a huge trash can and then rinse it out. That seems inefficient. Yes. Uh, well, you know, I, I can do it pretty quick now. Um, but having something that I could like, you know, bottom clean from, um, that's actually built into the table um, would be pretty cool um, and keep me from having to lift, you know, heavy kettles up and down. 
you're back you're back i was only gonna last so long doing that right so right i find <laughs> if i take all the tri-clamp hardware off i can get the mash tun and the brew kettle to the floor safely yeah um, i can grab somebody from the bar <laughs> to help me if i need to um and i have before but man that bottom cleaning rig would be pretty sweet that would probably be the first thing uh, that i, okay. that I yeah. do with that money yeah that would be really nice anything to save your back right that's right those are the first things you got to take off you know because if you're out of commission you hurt yourself you're out of commission i mean there's nobody brewing beer where you're at right you're 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 it i'm right? it man and yeah it, it's not like i'm old but working in a brewery is basically like working construction um i had a couple back-to-back -back brew days over the summer man it was pretty brutal on on the old body yeah i bet i bet yeah um what about um we kind of touched on this but uh you know future forward-looking um plans long term um what do you it sounded like you were talking about maybe bottles and maybe a couple years from now distribution or um, maybe increasing the size of the brewery. What do you, what do you see for the future of Belleville farm from like, um, you know, the brewery aspect of it in a couple of years? What does it look like? You think? Oh, good question. Um, I definitely think we'll get the on-site bottling happening. That, that feels like something we can definitely do, you know, Something that I would like um, that's a little more difficult for us because of the way distribution works in Virginia is to get kegs on at uh, some trustworthy um, establishments in town, like a, a couple bars or a growler station at the local wine and beer shop. People I know I can trust and they'll, they'll put it on a clean tap so it's not contaminated. I would love that just because it really gets the beer into the community. And then it is in places people can just stop on the way home or, or go out to for an evening. And so, you know, right now with our size, and again, the way distribution works in Virginia, it's really cost prohibitive. Um, barring a change in the law or maybe uh, an increase in business that may become more possible. But that's something I would personally like to see, but I definitely think on-site bottling is gonna happen, um, which will be, a you know, a, a good next step for us. And um, you know, I, I think I shared with, you know, this summer, as soon as phase two happened, it was just like gangbusters. Uh, people were drinking the beer faster than I could make it. And so I don't expect anything to be different this summer. You know, yeah. people just want to be out and, you know, word spreads too. Sometimes it spreads slowly, but word spreads too that, you know, hey, they got beer now. You know, so yeah, that's cool. That's a good yeah. thing. A lot, I noticed a lot more people coming there prepared to drink beer this summer uh, than you know before. So you know, it's definitely getting out there. So this is the last phase, the final frontier. Okay, it's a new lightning round that we're going to do right now. John, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready for the lightning round. Bring it. <sighs> All right, let's go. On the clock, lager or ale? Ale. Keg or bottle? Keg. 
dark or light beer? Mm, dark. Favorite beer book? Palmer. Palmer? Most despicable beer style? Despicable. Oh my gosh. Mm. Oh, that's hard, man. Oh, that's tough. What's something I really hate? I don't want to throw anybody under the bus either. Um, well, like ice beers. Ice, I have to, ice beer. I have to think of something though. <laughs> okay, that, that, that works for me. Ice beers. Ice beers, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, here's a totally non-beer related, but I know you're a musician. So favorite musician on the spot. Michael Hedges. Favorite brewing word. Ooh. Let's say sparge. Sparge. Oh, nice. And the last one. Well, maybe not the last one. Do you like pizza? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Last one because I'm doing it and it I'm not I'm not sure I'm fully on board. Are you doing dry January? No. Good for you. <laughs> I've never done dry January. <laughs> this is your number two for me. I'm not sure exactly why I'm doing it, but uh, apparently it's supposed to be healthy for me. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've known a lot of people that have done it. It's cool. I've just never done it. Well, there's always next year, right? There's always next year. <laughs> well, hey, I want to thank you again, John Hildreth from Belleville Farm, for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. Um, very insightful. And everyone that's in the Blacksburg, Virginia area or anywhere around there, be sure to go check out um, the Belleville Farm Winery and Brewery. Book your wedding there. Stay at the inn, whatever you want, right? Um, and one last thing before we go, just remember, no barley, no wheat, no rye. No problem. Thanks, John. Right, right on.